that's not special. I don't know what is. When a young man comes and wants a prayer like that for his surgery in front of everybody in the body of Christ to be praying for him. So on the 21st, we'll be going up there and having, having that done. And so now, if you will, let's... Oh, yeah, I was like, okay, what? Kids class. Kids class is going to be in, in the back this time. So all the kids who are uh, uh, going to the, the kids' Sunday school, uh, head on back to the, to the gym. Some's already back there. Some's in process. <clears throat> oh. And then, um, so remember to keep everybody in your prayers. We've got, just look around and those that you see that's not here too, keep them in your prayers and, and give them a phone call. Let them know that they're missed and that you love them. And as we prepare now for the lesson today, let's take a moment to uh, go to our Father in heaven in prayer. We'll start with a silent prayer as you prepare your hearts and minds and then I'll close this out. Father, as we prepare to open up your holy and divine word, we thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son for us and also that you left your Holy Spirit and the word of God to give us peace, comfort, encouragement, strength, faith, hope, everything that we need for this journey, Father. So may we rely upon it. We're going to learn some things today that has been written and foreordained since the beginning of time on how things are supposed to be. I pray, Father, that your word today will be received in love, be received in truth, and may we teach, Father, in love the world and our friends and our families these principles in love and guiding them to your truth and to your son and we thank you father in jesus name amen all right if you would open up your bibles to joshua 6 we was there two weeks ago and we we stopped at a point where the walls were beginning to tumble down and then we took a pause last week for resurrection sunday and talked about the resurrection of the lord jesus christ and why that was so important for us and, and why it had to happen so that we might have the opportunity to be saved. For there's no other way, there's no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. And so we learned about that and the power of the resurrection and why it had to be and come about. So now we'll come back to, uh, John cha or to Joshua chapter 6. And um, I'll do a quick little update because we have some folks who were gone over spring break and different things and, and some folks that, that are here again to join us. So we'll just do a little quick review of what brought us up to this point. 
So what you had was we saw beginning in Joshua, the first verse, that the, they had straightly shut them up. They had shut up the gates because God's people was there. They had crossed over and here they are. And God began giving, giving to uh, Joshua the marching orders. How, how we're going to do this thing. Now if I was the commander of the army. Um, I, I would think that you've got to do things a different way. You're going to go covert. You're going to go unannounced. You're going to find a weak point in, in their uh, uh, walls or in their defenses so that you can attack it there were so many different things that you would be trying to plan as a general of war to protect your troops but what we found out is God said Joshua I'm the commander he met him at the end of chapter 5 with a sword drawn Joshua said are you for or against us and he said I am the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says he bowed down and he worshipped him. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the general of this army. And he's going to give the battle commands. First thing he told him to do was to be circumcised. Which that put every troop out of commission for several days. That's not what I would do in enemy territory. But God has the proper plans. And he protected them and shielded them. He had them shut up in fear while they were being healed. When they had the perfect opportunity. And that's how God takes care of us. His warriors today in Christ. And then we saw that once they were healed. That they got ready to go. And he, God called a meeting with Joshua. And he said here's what we're going to do. I want you to have the people to march around the walls of this city one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want them to walk around seven times on the seventh day only. And I want the order of procession to be this. I want some armed men in the front. That's first platoon. And then I want seven priests with seven ram's horns, the shofars, to go next. And then right behind the priest and the shofars, I want the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord being bore on the shoulders of the priests. And then behind them, the other half of the men in platoon four. And so you got platoon one, the, the men with arms. You got platoon two, the Levites, who was bearing the shofars. Platoon three had the Ark of the Covenant. And then platoon four was another group of men who brought up the rear. And so, whenever they began their march, though, we, we noticed that in verse 8, if you look there in Joshua 6 and verse 8, it says that whenever the priest got ready to bear the ark, that the, that the priest with the shofars began to blow, and that they passed before the Lord. It doesn't say the ark, but before the Lord, because that ark represents everything about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we studied that during that, and I'll hit on it later again in today's as we as we close this but the reason being if you've ever been in in a presentation in the service what you have in there is uh you pass in review of the head officers and you pass in its eyes right because as you pass before you are going into like whenever we got out of basic and graduated from that you have this dress rehearsal and it's eyes right. You're looking at the head guy, the general that's sitting there as you pass in review of him. And so it's eyes right. You keep focused on him and he's focused on you. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is that commanding officer. And as they got ready to march around those cities' walls, it was eyes right. 
they passed in review before their Lord who was going to be the one who led them into battle. And then we saw that they did just that, that the, the, the priests were blowing the shofars, the horns, and the Ark of the Covenant circled around one time a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they did the seven times around and they shouted at the end of that seventh trip around. And they blew the horns. And it says that the walls fell flat down. Now this is where we're at. Uh, one of the things about those ram's horns. What, what we found out. When we was studying this a couple of weeks ago. And we dug in deep. Was that every bit of that procession for seven days. Was what? You remember what it was? It was the gospel being preached, wasn't it? You remember that the horns, see they, in, in Leviticus it talks about um, two silver trumpets, or in Exodus there's two silver trumpets. But in Leviticus it says that they have ram's horns for shofars to proclaim liberty throughout the land and the year of jubilee when all things revert back to the proper owner. These are the ram's horns, not the trumpets of a normal war and that calls you like our cavalry did whenever it beat. You, you don't have the metal tin horns or the silver horns of the Lord that did that. You've got the ram's horns. And it says specifically in Leviticus 25 verses 8 through 10 that the ram's horns or shofars are blown in the year of Jubilee for the rightful ownership of things to come back to that owner and that it proclaims liberty and freedom throughout the land. So with the Ark of the Covenant that represents everything about the Lord Jesus Christ in it, we, we talked about how that that Ark was made first of acacia or gopher wood and it was put together and that that represented the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like we are supposed to be trees planted by the rivers of waters and to bear fruit in our season. That wood represented his humanity being born of a virgin. And then that ark then was overlaid with a pure gold. Which represents the deity, the, the God man. He is what is called in in proper terms out there of the guys who uh, have PhDs and stuff. It's called the, the, um, now the word escaped me when I was trying to think of PhD. Uh, but it's when there's a union between God and man, the two of them together, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the uniquely born one. That's why it says in John three sixteen. That God so loved the world that he gave his, it's not just only begotten, but the word is uniquely born one. It, he is the only one who is God and man together. And that's the reason that he can be our mediator before God. Because a mediator has to be someone who is on even terms with both parties. And he is our mediator because he is both God and man. Hypostatic union is what it's called. It finally came to me while I was talking. But that's called the hypostatic union of God and man in one unique being. So that's what the ark represented. The wood with the gold overlay represents the, the union of God and man and the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of God, seed of woman that we have talked about. And inside of that ark was the manna 
that came down, a pot of it that they put in there, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the two tablets of stones with the commandments, the law upon them. So all of those represented different things where it reminded them of of our humanness and our fallenness and, and not able to keep the law and that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so those are inside of the ark, inside of the, the box that represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because we're going to find out that when He went to the cross, He bore our sins upon His own body, in His own body. And so those things represented that inside of the ark. And so up on top of that then was placed the mercy seat. And there was two cherubs, the mighty pictures of the mighty elect angels of God. And one represents the righteousness and the other one the justice of God. And it looks down upon the ark and it looks upon the mercy seat and it sees that inside the ark is the things that represent the, the law and fallen sin, that we couldn't keep the law. And it's inside of the ark, and the blood of the Lamb once a year would be placed upon the top of that mercy seat, and that satisfies the righteousness and justice of God by the work of Christ on the cross that it was representing and that He had bore our sins within His body for us, and so that represents propitiation and salvation and, pro and redemption. And propitiation is just a big word that means that we are, that are the anger of God over sin is appeased by the sacrifice of Christ. And so I, I think I've jumped way ahead. I'm glad Miss T's on there. But that's what 1 John 2 there represents. It says... My little children, I write you these things that you don't sin, but we all do. And all of us who sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but those of the world. You see, that means that his sacrifice satisfied the anger of God. And that God would now accept us in him. And so that's why he had to go to the cross and then it says that that blood of Jesus upon that wooden box with gold overlaid and then the mercy seat. It says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, As many as are of the works of the law or those tablets in the ark, they're under the curse still. But in Galatians 3.13, But Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law, having become the curse for us. For it is written... Everyone who hangs upon a tree is cursed. So now you see why Christ took upon himself through the law and through the curse. He took that upon him so that those who believe in him and his work are now redeemed and saved. And the anger of God is appeased. And then verse 8 makes a precious proclamation for you and I. It says that the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith. And you're going to see that in Rahab in a minute. Preached, now listen to this, he preached the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed through him. So then those who are of faith 
are blessed along with believing Abraham, who is the father of our faith. So what we have in the procession of the ark going around that city for seven days was the grace of God extending mercy and a way of salvation so that the walls don't have to come tumbling down so that they could, like Rahab, have been saved. But they yet refused. They won last time for seven days. We paralleled two weeks ago, too, for those who weren't here and for those that, that need reminding like I do, we also paralleled this with Revelation chapter 8, 9, and 11. That the seven trumpet judgments that are going out in Revelation in those chapters are being portrayed in every instance of what we have here. Everything from the silence in heaven in chapter 8, the way it begins as the trumpets got ready to go. What was the decree of, of the Lord Jesus to Joshua, to the troops? Make not a sound. You remember that? Don't you say a word. The only thing that they're going to hear is the trumpets. And the only thing they're going to see is the ark. And you know why? Because we should always be fixed upon that message. We don't need to be bogged down with trying to harass folks. Trying to get in. The message should be clear. It's only about the Lord Jesus and telling them about that and the trumpets that's proclaiming liberty if you will accept it. So he said, keep your mouth shut. Don't get involved in any of that, but keep everybody's focus on the ark as it is going, th going through. And then, let's go to Joshua 6 now. So if you're there, I think we're pretty much caught up. To where we were from the last time two weeks ago. And now in Joshua 6. We're going to see all of it played out in full time now. What's going on. That we're, the, re, the redemption process. You see this is played out just like what Revelation is going to. That those who believe are redeemed from the curse. And that those who don't believe and won't repent. Are not redeemed from the curse. And they are destroyed. And that's being played out in what's happening here. But it's the whole spiritual battle that's being played out every day even unto this day. So if you're there, Joshua 6 verse 15 beginning says. It came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early. About the dawning of the day and they marched around the city seven times in that same manner that they had been. And on that day only... They marched seven times around the city. The other ones was once today. And on the seventh time it happened. That when the priests blew the trumpets. That Joshua said to the people. Shout for the Lord has given you this city. And now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house. Because she hid the messengers that we had sent. And you by all means. Now here's to the, to the soldiers when they go rushing up to take the city and to avenge God. It says, but you by all means. You don't touch any accursed thing. Lest you become accursed yourself. When you take the accursed things that would make you accursed. And make also the camp of Israel accursed. And it will trouble it. And all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron though. These are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so 
the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened that when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell flat. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight up before him from where they were in that position, straight up because it's, Jericho was built on a, on a hill, a small hill with the walls down at the bottom. And he's, they went all straight up and, and took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been the spies went in and they brought out Rahab. And they brought out her father and her mother and brothers and all that she had so that they brought out all of her relatives and left them outside of the camp of Israel. But they burned then that city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver, gold, and vessels of bronze and iron they saved and put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwells in the land of Israel to this very day because she hid the messengers that Joshua had sent to spy out on Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed, cursed will be the man before the Lord who will try to rise up and rebuild this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn, and with his youngest shall he set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all of the country. Wow. Now, you know, somebody did try to rebuild that city. And that story's found in 1 Kings 16, if you want to write that down and go there sometime. 1 Kings 16, a guy by the name of Hiel tried to rebuild Jericho, and he did. But you know what it cost him? His firstborn son when he started laying the foundation. And it cost the younger son when he finished it and laid the gate. And it says at the end of chapter 16. And thus the prophecy of the Lord stood true that was given by Joshua on that day that God gave it to him. That cursed be the man who lays the foundation of this city and tries to rebuild it. He will do it with his firstborn and with his lastborn. So one thing that we know is that the word of God always stands true. God cannot fail from doing what he has said that he's going to do. It's our choice to either do or not to do those things. So the gospel was being proclaimed for seven days. And on that seventh day, God gave them seven chances to obey the gospel and to reverse. Now up there in verse 21, if you go back to that for a moment, in verse 21 it says that everything in the city was utterly destroyed. From every man and every woman, from young to the old, and even the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys. Wow. They perished by the edge of the sword. And then in verse 24, after that carnage, they burned everything that was in there with fire. They saved only the gold, the silver, and the iron, and the bronze vessels for the house of the Lord and gave it to him as an offering. Now... I want to ask, has anyone ever thought about these things and thought that's harsh? 
And have you ever thought or had a question asked of you why God did that and allowed such a thing and why he ordered it? Has anyone ever thought that and wondered that or had that question? Hmm? Okay, good. Because I like question and answer time. And we're, we're going we're gonna to do question and answer time today. We've done it a couple times in the past on things that I've had brought to me and, and have brought out. And so this is something I've thought of too, you know. And I've had people ask and talk about this and why would it happen. So, you know, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that first we need to sanctify the Lord God into our hearts and know that He is true and that everything He does is righteous and just. And then when we do that, we need to learn to understand why He tells us to do things or why He did things and why He does them and that we then should learn it so that we can give a defense of the God to anyone who asks you of a reason for the hope that is in you and we deliver it with meekness and with fear. So everything that the Lord does, first of all, know this, is holy and just and righteous. And there's a reason for it and a purpose for it. And we just have to uncover what it is. So today, we're going to find out what this was. And I will grant you that this is the word of God. This is not my feelings. This is not my opinion. This is not even the way maybe I would want to do things. But this is the word of God. And I'm just going to read it. And, then, and it's for us to know it. And then we will be able in love to share that with others and to help them so that they don't become like Jericho and after time after time of the gospel being presented, they fall without ever knowing the Lord Jesus and they end up like Jericho first. Understand that in verses 17 and 18 that there's a word that's used that everything in this story and for the next chapter or two hinges around. And that's when it says that this city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it. And then for them not to touch the cursed things. Or you will become accursed and take the cursed things. You also make the camp accursed. All of those come from the same word. Doomed to destruction and all of the cursed things is one word in the Hebrew, and it's called karam. And karam means to be something that is banned, something that is dedicated. And in that dedication, it's, it's not to be, it's not to be uh, used for any other purposes. It's, it's banned from other purposes, and it's dedicated for the purpose that it's dedicated to. And it could be either good or bad depending upon what the uh, outline of the story is, the content around it. Now, one day I'll give you, maybe even next week. But does anyone remember a time when the Lord talked about Korban? Do you remember Korban in the New Testament when the Lord said Korban? You see, they had set up this little trick, this little trap so that they could they could save their money and not have to give it to anybody that was in need, even their parents and such. They, they were squirreling this away, and what they would do is say it's dedicated unto God. It's korban. And korban is the same word in the New Testament in the Greek that karam is in the Old Testament Hebrew. And what it was, the Lord said, you call everything korban that I have, what, 
what the Pharisees did that had money. They said, we can tie it up and not give it to other folks even in need because we can say that it's dedicated unto God. I have left my inheritance and all of my stuff unto God, but I can still use it for myself, for my housing and for my different needs because it's, it's mine, but everything else that I have and, and it is dedicated unto God if something would happen to me now. And so if a parent or a loved one or a friend would come up and say, friend, can you help me out? Or son, can you help me out? And I could go, Oh, I would love to, mom, or love to, dad, or love to, sister, or brother, or friend. But everything I have is korban. It's dedicated unto the Lord, and I, I can't give it to you because it's dedicated to them. And the Lord condemned them for it because he said you're doing it for your own practices. But you see, that's where they tried to dedicate something that was for the good. But whenever something becomes accursed in the karam sense, that means it's dedicated unto destruction and so the lord has doomed this city to destruction to carom it is a banned thing it is not to be touched it is dedicated to destruction unto the lord so everything hinges around those two verses right there and why now whenever christ hung upon the cross and he took upon himself the what curse for us then we just see that see that's the cursed thing you see christ took the carom upon himself. The curse that was supposed to be to us, he took upon himself. And that's why whenever we rely upon his work, he's already paid the price for that carom. He's already been destroyed for that carom. Just like Rahab believed in that work and in God, and she is already what? Redeemed. So something that is already redeemed is exempt from the destruction of Karen. Both of them are set aside for a purpose, the redeemed for the glorious purpose of God. Those who refuse are set aside in the end for destruction because they refuse to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so that's the spiritual battle that we see being played out in the real-time sense of this story that's going on. And you say, well, when did this start? Well, it, it really started back in the fall. And then it heated up in Acts chapter 6 whenever the angelic invasion came and crossed over with mankind and evil spread throughout the land. And then whenever Noah boarded the boat, there was one of his sons that kind of wanted to hang on to a lot of that evil stuff. And whenever they got off, uh, some bad things happened. And Ham and Canaan, his son, were cursed by the Lord with uh, cursed through Noah and it all started hinging down through there and then we get to chapter 10 and 11 to this guy called Nimrod and Nimrod became, began to be one of those who was called great among men and what it means was in a mighty hunter before the Lord man against in the face of the Lord he was a mobster he was a gangster and he was killing people before the Lord and putting them into bondage <clears throat> he wanted to become as God and he aligned himself with the demonic realm and was trying to reach up into heaven to overthrow God again just like they had tried to do earlier and God had to come and the tower of Babel and babble the voices and and disperse them then from there into nations so it, it all stems through that land you know where you know where Babylon and where the tower of Babel was 
If you look in Genesis 10 and 11, it's called the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar. You're going to find out in the next chapter. I'm going to give you a clue to a preview of coming attractions. We're going to find a man who took something of the accursed things. His name is Achan. That means troubler. And it says right there in verse 18, don't take anything or you will trouble your nation. That's the word Achor for Achan. And he is going to be the troubler of Israel because he's going to take some of that stuff that is Korban, that is accursed. And so, <clears throat> but we're going to find that he touches those accursed things and then they'll say, what do you got? And he's going to tell them, first of all, I have a Babylonian garment. Well, in the original language, it says a Shinar mantle. This was probably some kind of, you see, I'll reveal, I got it written down for later, but I'll tell you now. You know what Jericho means? Jericho is named after the, the moon god, Yerik. It's Jericho, and it's after the moon god. And they were practicing all of this divination there that stems from Babylon, from Shinar, that goes all the way back to Genesis 10 with Nimrod and the tower. And this was a Babylonian garment from Shinar of, of the, the royal like uh, demonic priesthood type thing of that. And it was a beautiful garment. And he says, I coveted it, I wanted it, and I took it and it's buried in there. So this is how deep this is going with the spiritual warfare of everything that's going on in this chapter whenever you begin and listen, it's all about the seed of the serpent. that b Battling against the seed of the woman. Against God's people and against the other ones. It was the headquarters of satanic rituals, worships, and religion in that land. Now, uh, <clears throat> here's, here's the reason the walls had to fall. So now we, we, we give this as a foundation. Now we're going to start going with why... God had to have the walls fall while he said destroy everything because it's karam in there and it's not to, it's accursed. Begin with what he said to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. That's Egypt. And will serve them and they will be afflicted of them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge afterwards. And they shall come out with great possessions. But for you, Abraham, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, that's 400 years, because a generation at that time was 100. In the fourth generation, they shall return here. Why aren't they here already? What's the last statement there? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That's grace. You see, they've still been practicing this stuff and God is going to give them time. He's going to give them time to repent. He's going to give them time to learn about Him and to change the ways and the way that they're living. So for 400 years, He says, I'm not letting you come back until they have gone too far. Until they've reached the tipping point. And God, being all-knowing and all-knowledge, said, that will be in 400 years in the fourth generation. And you will come back and I will prepare the land for you. And because of their iniquity, their rebelliousness. And they are against the divine establishments of God from creation. And I want you to know. With all of my heart, I want you to know. 
that sin is sin. Lying is sin. Anything is sin. Jealousy, all of the different sins of the heart. God does not like those. But there are sins that are degrees and levels above that. All sin casts us in a bad relationship. But there are sins that God calls abominations. Detestable things to Him. And it's because of the creation of God from Genesis 1. His divine decrees was this. Genders, male and female created He them. It'll say that five times. In the beginning He created them. Male and female He created them. Female and male created He them. So first of all, gender identification is the first thing in the divine establishment of creation. And that led to family or to marriage whenever he did create the woman from the rib bone of Adam and he brought her to him. And this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and the twain shall be joined together. And for this cause, marriage, shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one. So the second divine establishment in Genesis chapter 2 is marriage. And then in Genesis chapter 3 or chapter 4, we find that the next one is family. Because then between the two of them, they procreate and society is continued. And now you have family. And then the first one that went along with creation of man was freedom. God designed us to be free and have freedom of choice. He didn't design us. He didn't want us. He gave us laws that he wanted us to abide by in front of him. And all of those laws pretty much represented that you and I could live in peace and freedom and without fear. Jesus said upon these two things of honoring the word of God and treating others as yourself, the law hinges upon and the commandments on those two things. If you follow them, you are treating others as you wanted to be treated. You will have freedom and you will have everything that you need and you can live without fear. But what does man do? Man constantly wants to make more laws and more laws upon those laws. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And you can't build a mini barn in your backyard because our little covenants that we... And they put a guy in charge that wants to drive around every day and see if... Men love to put others under bondage like Satan does. God designed us to be free, folks, and not have all of these kind of things. So his divine establishments in the beginning was, I created you male and female. I created you so that you come together. And I created you so that you have a family and that you procreate. And one day my son's going to save you. I created you and I gave you these laws for your freedom. And so that you can live without fear of having those things happen to you. And then once you create enough, then I give you nations. And then you're supposed to be in that nation and it's supposed to be unto me and you will live free in that nation and, and my laws will protect you from that. And so that was the divine establishment of God. But every day Satan wants to break down the divine establishments of God. Whether it be folks wanting to use the wrong restrooms or whether it be with offering our babies up to the fire. I happen to just look this up. As, because you're going to see that that's one of the things that 
that God did not like. That's one of the first things we'll see in here in a minute. Did you know we were so scared this last year over COVID? Did you see what it's done to society and, and what it has done to us? Do you know how many people worldwide died from it, supposedly from the numbers? I heard it was 1.8 million last year. And that's a tragedy that anyone had to die from that. And my heart goes out to anyone that, that lost a loved one. All communicable diseases lost 13 million. But the world lost 42.6 million babies last year. And, and we celebrate it. We say that is freedom. And you, but everything else, we, we're putting you under bondage. The divine establishments of God are being attacked. And the wrong emphasis on the wrong things is being placed. That is not freedom, folks. It would take the Christian Post put this article out. It would take 23 years for the coronavirus to do what one year of abortions does. My heart weeps. God's heart weeps. And I'm sorry. I want you to know if that's ever affected you. And it has people in my family and my loved ones that I love. And what I tell them. That's not an unforgivable thing. And you're forgiven. And you accept Jesus. And he bore everything in your body. So I want you to know that too. That that's the message of love. That we shed for anyone here or for anyone that's in our family or friends of the world. But we've got to let them know what the truth is in love. But we love you and we want you to, to change. And we want you to know that you're forgiven and that that's not something that is too much. We legalize that, but we lock away our freedoms. God told the people, repent. Or it'll be caring. For 400 years grace went out to these people. Because they were doing those such things. For 400 years. God said I am allowing that to go. Because I want them to be saved. Now Jericho and Canaan is caring. Because they've reached the tipping point. God explains it to Moses. He says this is why. As whenever that 400 years is over. And Moses is leading them. And they've left Egypt. And they're getting ready to, they've crossed the Red Sea. They've spent 40 years in the wilderness. And they're getting ready to cross that Jordan that we saw a couple of weeks ago. And go into the land. And they're going to run the people out. And they're going to destroy it. And the patience of God finally had his tipping point. And so while the gospel was being preached for seven days. Going around that wall. And the Ark of the Covenant that says all of your sins are inside of here and can be redeemed by this blood of the Lamb. And while the trumpets was proclaiming your freedom from that bondage of sin and liberty in the land. And while that was going on, do you know what was going on behind the walls of Jericho? The reason why the walls fell and God had to destroy them. God tells Moses, I'm going to share with you three passages of scriptures. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 12, 28 through 32. He tells Moses to tell the people, I want all of you to obey and observe my words that I command you, 
that it may go well with you and your children with you forever. How many wants your life to go well with you and with your children forever? Isn't that what we all want? God says, I am giving you a promise that if you will follow my word, that it will go well with you and your children forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of your, the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you are about to dispossess and to possess their land as an inheritance. So here we go with Jericho and Ai and the rest of the cities that's going to be destroyed and cut off. When I cut them off before you, when you go into the land to dwell there, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them or after the ways because they are destroyed from before you. Don't inquire about their gods saying, how did the nations serve their gods? Because I want to do likewise. He said, I'm going to tell you why. I am dispossessing the land and why it has now after 400 years become Karim. And a warning is going to you because human nature says I want to be like everyone else. Every time I grew up, every little advertisement was something about France or something in Europe and, and being like that. And I thought, we're the greatest country in America. Why, why don't we want to be like us? Why do we always want to be like somebody else? So... God says, don't try to be like they are. Don't inquire of their gods. Don't say, I want to worship like they are. Because this is the reason that I am dispelling them from the land. He says, you shall not worship me, the Lord your God, in verse 31, in that way that they do. Because what they are doing as a religious freedom, they call it, what they are doing is every abomination to the, that is an abomination to me, which I hate, they are doing to their gods. So they are celebrating these things before their gods, which is the gods of, of demons. For they burn even their sons and their daughters in fire before their gods, offering up their kids as a sacrifice. Whatever I command you, be careful that you observe it, you shall not add to or take away from my words to you. The iniquity is full for that reason. And God, God is cutting them off from the land that they are going to dwell in. Because they are doing this as a rite and celebrating it before the gods that they are worshiping. Well, what other kind of things are abominations to God you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we'll move to the next slide. And mind you, I am just reading. This is the word of God. It's not my opinion. Leviticus 18, 20 through 30. God told Moses and us this. Why they're having to be destroyed from the land. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. Nor shall you profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. You shall not lie a male with a male as a, with a woman. That is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before the animal to mate with it. That is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these 
things. The nations are defiled. And I am casting them out before you. The land is defiled for them. Therefore I visit the punishment now. After 400 years of its iniquity. Remember what he told Moses. Until the iniquity of the Amorites is full. And I am now it is full. And I am visiting that punishment of the land. And it vomits out its inhabitants you shall therefore keep my statutes my judgments and you shall not commit any of these abominations either you or even a stranger that is in your land that comes into there you will not allow them to do that who dwells among you for all these abominations of the men of the land that they have done that are there before you and thus the land is defiled and lest you do these and the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that are in there now before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the person that commits them will be cut off from among their people. Therefore, you will keep my ordinances so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them for I am the Lord your God. Now you see he calls those things abominations. Why? Because it goes against the divine establishments. That was established at creation for the order of mankind and society. And it says through here very clearly. That when when more and more people make these choices and decisions and they become the laws of the land, that that then not only defiles from the person, but it goes to the nation and even unto the land. And the land gets sick of it and vomits that nation out. Now, that is why we have to prayerfully and lovingly Petition our nation not to go this route because God cannot change from this and it will happen to us or our children and grandchildren. What did he say? If you follow my way, it will be well for you and for your children forever. But if you don't, then this is what's happening. Now, I, I say this because I, I want everyone to know something. It's about the laws of the land and the tipping point of the land. Just like the Ten Commandments had commandments like we're not supposed to lie and steal and cheat. Aren't you glad that murder is not a freedom that everyone has so that you have, all of those are so, so that you can live without fear. But do lying and cheating and murder still happen? Even though we have laws against it, right? Because people still have freedom that God designed in the beginning and freedom of choice. So what I'm trying to say about America and about our loved ones is this. That it cannot be the law of the land. And it can't be the tipping point of the land. The laws have to represent the faithfulness to God's establishment. People still have the right to be free and choose to do what you want. If you want to practice those things, that's between you and God. And, and God will hold you accountable or not accountable based upon each one of our individuals but the individuals cannot put that upon the nation or else we become Karen are you starting to see the picture it's okay you have freedom to do what you want but don't make it a law 
Because the law brings the nation down. And the, then the, we have to be vomited out just the way it was. God can't allow one nation and not another because then he's taken precedence of one over the other. And God can't do that. He has to be just upon it. The attacks kept coming and kept coming. You say, are there any more? Yeah, there's, there's one more set of scriptures that I want to share with you that go, because they go in a different realm from this. One last passage in Deuteronomy 18. This is another one that's, whether you know it or not, is running rampant in our land as well today. Deuteronomy 18. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you will not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Now, what are the abominations of the nations? There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Now, that's been there like three times. Or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritualist, or one who calls upon the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You are to be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are now about to dispossess, they listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has appointed, not appointed, that such for you. And the next verse that I didn't put on there is saying that Moses said, but God is going to raise up prophet like unto me. Him shall ye hear. So the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are the words that we hear today. And we are not to be hearing anyone else. What every one of those things has behind it is, is that you are seeking for a form of information, whether it's about your future, whether it's about a, a dream you had, whether it's about what's my daily horoscope say, am I going to have a good day today, what, what's my future hold. All of these things are seeking for information outside of the Word of God. And God says, I have not appointed you for that. And I want you to know how dangerous that is. Because here's what happens. It seems innocent enough because I used to sit in a position at work where I guarded the CEO and they brought me both Indianapolis papers every day, the morning and the afternoon. On every one of them, there's the horoscope there. It would be, it's be so easy just to, oh, what's it say for me today? And you think nothing of it, right? I mean, it's there in the paper and you think nothing of it. Oh, I can either have a good laugh or, oh, I shouldn't do that. You joke around about it. But you know what happens whenever you look at those things? Just like a Ouija board or just like the, the, the fortune cards or the crystal balls. When you do this, now I want you to listen real close because I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. When you do this, you are turning your back to God and His information and you are presenting yourself before the demonic realm to say, I am open to you and your influence and your word to me. And you are opening up your life, your mind, and your heart and saying, I'm all yours. Whether you really believe it or not, or whether you think it was all just in fun or not, 
when you do those things, you have given them the green light. It says in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, even when it's talking about the Lord's Supper that we will be taking in a minute, it says that I don't, you cannot serve the, the idols and God. Because everything that's offered to an idol is offered to demons. That there is a demon behind every one of those things. And whenever you pick up any one of those things, there is demons around it watching. Whether you want to believe it or not, the Lord says even around just a, a little idol, a little thing that you had set in there. There's a demon behind it waiting for you to give it attention. And when you give it attention, you have given it the green light to have hold of you. And you have now, if you're a Christian, quenched the Holy Spirit of God that was within you and it backs off and allows the influence. A Christian, thank God, cannot be filled with and possessed by a demonic power because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But you can quench the Holy Spirit of God and it can go into a shell because you have chosen a different realm and you can still be influenced by it. And whenever you open those things up, you are given it carte blanche in your life. And now it can have the influence and begin doing that upon your life. So God says, do not let any one of you seek information other than through me, either by my word or by prayer to me. But you seek it from me. King Saul did not wait for an answer from God. He never repented from some things that he did. And God wasn't talking to him. Instead of repenting and allowing God to talk to him, he went and sought the witch of Endor. And it says in First Chronicles chapter 10 that, yeah, the Lord gave a message to Saul, tomorrow you will die and be here like I am, was what Samuel said. The message was this. First Chronicles chapter 10, you can look it up. It says, and Saul died. I believe it's verses 12 and 13. Saul died because he never repented of his sins whenever he was supposed to hack Achish up and everything, and he didn't do it. He never repented of that when Samuel came and confronted him with it, and they separated. And because he sought the witch at Endor instead of the word of God. And he died before the Lord the very next day. So it's serious business when we open that up. But what it says here in the word of God in all three of these passages that the nations, the cities, the places in Canaan that, that I am destroying from in front of you do all of these things. And they have for 400 years. And then for 40 years, the gospel message started being intensified 40 years prior. You know how that was? That was whenever God started opening up the Red Sea and the, the, the ten plagues that was in Egypt. And they passed over the Red Sea. And then what happened for 40 years in the desert? Yeah, they got water from a rock. How were they fed? Manna from heaven. Every day for six days and on the sixth day they gathered up enough for the next day and it happened over and over for 40 years. Water from rocks. What about their worship? They had a tabernacle, but what, what, was, what was leading them when they marched and what set above the tabernacle when they camped? The pillar, right? Of fire by night and a cloud by day. So anybody for 40 years around their, any travelers, any trade routes, 
Any people, the cities when they marched around, anybody who saw this caravan of God's people heard what happened in Egypt, the Red Sea. They heard what was happening for 40 years in a desert of drinking rocks from rocks and manna from heaven and the presence of God staying with them and leading them. Do you not think that's a gospel message? Yes, it is. For 40 years, it intensified. It was so intense that Rahab affirms that. Look, do you remember when we was in chapter 2 and the messengers came into her house? She sought them out and brought them in and said this. Before they were able to lay down, she came to them on the rooftop and said to them, I know that the Lord God, the God of heaven and earth, your God, has already given this land to you. For we have what? Heard. For we have heard. Right there towards the middle. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings and what you've been doing. Hearing is where faith comes from. Hearing the, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Right, Ray. And so for 40 years, the Word of God was being preached out there in the desert to these people. And we heard it. And we knew it. And we knew it was the Lord your God. And now that you're coming over this way, we know that He has given you this land. Why? Because they know the prophecy that was given to Abraham 400 years ago that their iniquity was going to one day rise and you're coming across. And we know that the time has come and all the nations, watch she say, we have heard all the inhabitants of the land have heard and their hearts melted because of you and the God that you serve. Why did they not repent then? I never can hardly understand that. In Revelation 9 and 11, the sun is baking them. They're blistered and in pain and gnawing on their tongues for pain. And it says, yet they would not repent of the works that they were doing or give God credit, but they cursed God instead. And I can't imagine. But we still do the same thing today when the gospel message is preached and we keep on doing what we want to do. She said, we've already heard. So the message for 400 years intensified for 40 years and then... For seven days, seven times seven on the last day, so seven times seven more times, God paraded the ark before him and said, Please repent in grace. All these abominations that were against me can be forgiven because of that mercy seat on the ark that the blood is shed upon. And today all of those abominations are forgiven by the blood of the lamb and that cross that sits back there. And it is forgiven. All you have to do is repent and ask for forgiveness. And God's mercy and grace goes out. He is long-suffering. He is not willing that any should repent, but that all should come to salvation and he waits and he waits and he waits on us. So when the tipping point comes, we can tell folks it wasn't because God wasn't gracious. 
It wasn't because God didn't love us. It wasn't because he didn't give us every opportunity to repent and to be right. It's because we refused. And we continued to walk in our ways and serve our other gods and do what we wanted to do. So as the praise team returns and we close, I hope that answers the question that we can give in defense for our Lord God. Sanctify Him in your hearts first. There's always a proper reason for things. And it says that this is it. 2 Peter 3.9 truly declares, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but He is long, long-suffering towards us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the repentance. And that's what's being displayed in Jericho. And you know why Jericho had to be totally done like it was? Because it was the first one. And that represents the first fruits of the land. And all the first fruits go to God. That's why you don't take anything of that carom. Because first fruits belong to me. And they are mine. And they are all being offered unto the Lord. And that's why God's going to get mad next week. But anyway. He came and he died upon that tree. That blood on the mercy seat represented that. And everything that's in that law. Those two tablets represented. And that means that all of those abominations. All of those curses. All of those things. Is inside the ark. And they represent Christ bore all of those in his body. When he was judged on the cross. So that we can be forgiven and no longer have to bear them ourselves. And praise God that he's done that and provided the way for us. And if you're here today. And you've not ever made that choice for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only two choices. Mark 16. John 3. Every one of them always gives the choice that there's only one name under heaven whereby you might be saved. Believe and the baptized will be saved, but those who do not believe will be condemned. Karam. Karam is that. They, you're either redeemed. Rahab was redeemed out of Karam. The rest of Jericho stayed in it. That's the two choices. Please make the proper choice today. If you've not followed the Lord in that illustration of Mark 16, 16, do it today. We've got the clothes ready. If, and begin believing and begin having faith and begin following Him. And to those of us who, if you're like me, and you've got so many things that need covered up by the blood of the Lamb in your life, know this. He loves you. Everything is, there's only one thing that can't be forgiven, folks. Whenever it talked about the unforgivable sin, the Lord told him there's only one thing that can't be forgiven, and that's because you would not believe in me. Christ died for any abomination all the way down to a little white lie. He died for every one of those, but the only thing that his blood and his death could not atone for was not to believe in him. That's the only thing. So don't hang your heads. Whatever we have done is forgiven. It's gone. It's separated as far as from the east from the west. 
and share with your friends, with your relatives, and with your loved ones this message that God's going to provide you grace and I'm going to keep telling you about it and, until he takes me home. Father, we just thank you for this example in your word and I'm thankful that we begin to understand from your word that it wasn't just an act of blatant anger like an impulse that we as humans have and oh you did this so I'm going to react with this no we saw how that you are patient and long-suffering and not slack you you're not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance so father that's what this represented you gave 400 years and then 40 years and then seven times seven for repentance to happen but this is a physical thing that you put there for us to learn from in the spiritual which the same thing applies to us unlimited grace to those who will believe and obey your word and follow after you but but we don't want anyone father to ever leave without being justified by the blood of the lamb and we thank you for this illustration of your grace and of your mercy but also an example of why we don't seek after those other things like the other nations did. And we praise you for your son, Jesus, just like Rahab praised that ark that marched around. And we thank you for that sacrifice in Jesus' name. Amen.